The Fanboy, episode 137. Hi, everybody. Mario Francisco Robles, MFR here with you, along with Brett Miro. And this is the Fanboy Podcast. How's everybody doing out there? Brett, Dude, most importantly... We're doing great, Mario. Brett, it's <laughs> awesome out here. That is... I always assume that that's exactly what everyone is saying back at their device. 100%. At that exact pitch. Yeah, exactly in that way. But most exactly. importantly now, Brett, how are you doing? I'm I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I had to think there? about it a little bit, but I'm hanging in there. Yeah. You had to kind yeah. of consider it. All right. Yeah. We'll unpack that uh, a little later on. Sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, things over here on my end are starting to get interesting. Things are starting to heat up. Something I haven't announced here on this on this show, but I have announced elsewhere in the social media, is that I'm expecting my third child. My wife and I are expecting our second daughter, and that's happening April 18th. And so today, this week was big on getting the house ready for the arrival of the third child. And and it's really starting to sink in. It's becoming a reality that number three is going to be here soon. And, you know, so life is a trip, Brett. <laughs> but um, all right. So with that in mind, you know what else is a trip? What's happening in the world of geekdom in the world of the dceu in the world of marvel there's been a lot going on since we last spoke because there was the super bowl that happened over the weekend with some interesting trailers that came up we're going to talk about one in particular there was also an exclusive sort of look at where dc is going next with this cool little teaser that that got sent out called the world needs heroes there's been there's some interesting rumors i've been hearing about what's going on with the flash and where things are going next with dc and of course first things first we've got that explosive peacemaker finale so we have a lot of ground to cover there's there's a, a lot huge week <laughs> right it's been a huge week and i feel like we should just kind of just dive right in so let's go ahead and start with our spoilerific response to the Peacemaker season one finale. And I should mention that, by the way, it's officially season one now because they announced this week that Peacemaker is returning for season two, which yes. I'm rejoicing about. I'm Very sure you excited are about well. that. But uh, so, Brett, what did you think of the finale? How, about how they wrapped up this first Peacemaker story that we're getting on HBO Max? So someone over there obviously listens to me and they said, you know what? We're going to make a nice, tight eight episode season where <laughs> there's no filler Every episode moves the plot along. It's fun. And we actually get some great character work and character development. And that's exactly what this finale did. It, it wrapped everything up really nice, closed this chapter up with a nice little bow, but left some place for our characters and our team to go. And um, I mean, I, I don't even know where to start. Um, some of the best action, uh, I think, fights uh, choreography was in this episode. There was that really, really cool battle outside of the uh, the barn. Uh, let's talk about the cow. <laughs> that that Just that creature in general is the most wild, gross thing ever with the, yeah. the weird nipple milkers. <laughs> like the honey oh, milkers. God. They had these little contraptions that were doing it, and it was like very well animated. Yeah. <laughs> it was disturbing. Um, 
Uh, yeah, I mean, there was just like a, there was everything. There was a lot of funny. This episode was really, really funny. There was a lot of funny. Yeah. Um, it, it was like almost slapstick at points. There was just like a lot of great like sight gag humor and um, you know, what the the um, the human torpedo <laughs> moment, well, t- two yeah. human torpedo moments that yeah. just were really tremendous. Like, there were there were a number of great uh, sort of standout moments, and it really did hit a, a lot of different sort of levels throughout the episode because we did start with the conflict still between peacemaker and Adebayo about you know he's still sore about well everything you know the the planting of the of the journal uh yeah just yeah just the betrayal overall by the end they're almost bff remember after easily (laughs) next bff but like you know but like that arc gets rewarded because you know we bring that conflict into the episode but then you know throughout the course of the it's just there was a lot of ground covered. I'm trying to think of like the thing that I want to hit on the most, but for you in general, finales can be sort of hit or miss, you know, how, how did this rate for you as a finale? Did the James Gunn stick the landing on season one? Yeah. Like I said, for me, I thought that really it wrapped everything up, but left it a place to go left like somewhere for the show to go after this. I thought as far as finales go, it was great. Like I said, just in general, this whole series was the way I like to watch television and the way I yeah. like to see it go. It's like you, you always notice when these, when these seasons are longer, you get a couple of crappy episodes that can't keep up the quality. Um, and it allowed them, I think to having a short season to have like a pretty nice size budget um, yeah. for a lot of these episodes. Um, and we can talk about that a little more too, uh, with a couple of little special uh, um, guests that we had. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're going to get to that. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> So well, very, very overall, yeah. I mean, I, I the show, the whole season, and the finale, I give like an A. Uh, you give it an A. It's an A. Yeah. And so season one in your book was a success on Peacemaker. Great success. And it's crazy to think, by the way, that like if you trace the, the this project back to how we ended up here, it all started by James Gunn getting fired from Guardians Volume Three. Because there was this, you remember, there was this Twitter controversy over some weird jokes and references he made on Twitter like 10, 15 years ago. And Disney did a thing where they canned him. And then now in that limbo, suddenly ripped away from the MCU that he had been helping to build, ripped away from Guardians Volume 3, that suddenly DC showed up on his doorstep and they were like, hey, we hear you're free, right? And that's how the Suicide Squad came to be. And then while making the Suicide Squad, he just got inspired to do this Peacemaker thing. Because he didn't go into the Suicide Squad thinking, I'm going right. to make a TV show out of this, you know? So it's just, it's, it's fascinating to think. I like and there's the, another the, one on the way of some and, other Suicide Squad yes. show. Yeah. So, yeah. It's just funny to think that had he not been fired from Guardians 3, there'd be no The Suicide Squad and there'd be no Peacemaker. You know, it's so it's just crazy to think how, like how the little rabbit hole that led us here. The, the, the you really took advantage world. of, uh, you know, the opportunity. You got screwed out of Marvel. Yeah. And came and really capitalized on all that. And as it turns out, he's back at Marvel anyway. So he's just playing. He's got both houses in his pocket. He's doing right both. Now. Yeah, he's doing both. Yeah. Now, w- one of the plot points that I thought was major, you know, we were talking a lot last week about the butterflies and trying to find out more like, you know, we're going to find out exactly who they are and what they are. Are they going to get a more official name of some kind? Right. Well, we didn't get a name, but we got a motive. We got a, a modus operandi for why they're here, what their mission is. And it was an interesting one, right? Yeah. Because essentially, 
I mean, like all good villains, they see themselves like the hero in the story. Essentially, they reveal to Peacemaker that like we're watching humans destroy their planet the way our creatures destroyed our planet through their own pride, through through believing in false prophets, through ignoring science, through all this other stuff. So there's th- right. your James Gunn sort of, um, you know, po- social, social commentary, social political, <laughs> sociopolitical. Yeah. yeah. And I love that. I love whenever these stories kind of reach for something a little higher. So that was music to my ears. And it makes for like an interesting dilemma, right? It's almost like, like Thanos's mission as a villain. We're like, you know what? Right. Uh, in certain ways, Thanos makes certain pretty good points, right? You know, it's we've had that discussion that Thanos is right. Um, and in this particular case, if they really do see it as humans are going to destroy a perfectly hospitable Earth and they don't listen to reason. So we just got to take over their bodies and against their will help, you know, right. save the world that way. Like, it's such a weird twisted inverted way of looking at things it is perfectly james gunn in that way yeah but, it was really cool and then, then you just yeah, the way like, that it, peacemaker responded you know and i didn't know what he was gonna do because for a yeah. second like she made a very compelling case and yeah. she and, and she brought up the, their prior relationship because you know when he had that butterfly trapped in the jar he was kind to it and he fed it a lot and she got to see what he's really like and that he he's not a bad person and right. she did the peace sign on the thing you know so for a second there i'm like wait a minute are they really going to have peacemaker join the side of the aliens yeah. because the aliens do bring up a pretty good point you know and then it's funny though too though because at the end of the episode when he's asked about that it isn't some huge world saving or or other large ramification he was worried about. The reason he ultimately decided to thwart them was because he knew they would hurt his friends. And for the first time in his life, this guy's got friends. He's got a family. Yeah. So it, I thought that was interesting. And he like, had to know, make because, a choice for himself, I think, too, after yeah. constantly making choices for other people, his father. And like, yeah, he, that, that was kind of the thing. He was like, you know. I'm going to save the world, but like, I need to do it my way. I can't allow you guys to do it your way. Like I'm not going to just fall into that again. So yeah, like what a great arc and character, like that character grew, you know, over those eight episodes. Absolutely. Like a significant amount. You know, a significant amount. Yeah. Sometimes in these shows, they'll gloss over big character moments. Like, or they'll take for granted certain moments. Like the main character in a series will kill someone one episode. And then in the next episode, they're just living their life as if nothing happened. You know, there's no real ramifications where like in real life, when a common person does something like this, it sticks with them for a while. Right. And in that last episode, homie killed his own father. And in this episode, we saw that like that had an effect on him. And he's having almost like PTSD moments where he's seeing his father in the woods. And in that moment where he shoots a blow dart, at you know the hit the yeah you know, the thought of his father yeah they took that moment seriously though where when the dart hits his head and there's the blood like he dies all over again right like it wasn't just played for laughs and you could see like this is something that chris your know, peacemaker is going to have to live with for a while it's not just like you know it's not this yeah. easy thing that happens in a tv show oh he killed his villain and now he's happy go lucky and everything's right. good 
Like, no, well, you know, the end of the episode as well, when he's sitting drinking yeah. in his trailer, it, after his father shows up again, sitting next to him. Yeah. Um, so like, and it's, it's still there. It's still something he's going to be dealing with going yep. into season two. Um, and it's so, yeah, man, that's, worse. that's where you want to have a character. Like that's exactly yeah. where you want to leave them. It, it, and I'm, I'm really excited. I, I think it was, it was such a, a great job. And, and I feel like in a weird way, it's going to come back to haunt him that he killed his father because the version that just lives in his head is probably way worse. You know what I mean? Like yeah, when you have all the worst people, parts. <laughs> yeah. Like when you have those people in your life who were just that negative presence in your life, you know, they, they, it's just, it's their worst parts. At least when the father was really there, he could go and re- speak okay. to the actual one here. Now all he has is the evil maniacal thought of his dad stuck in his head. So that's yeah. going to be interesting to see them play that out. And, and, and I was like, low-key very happy that robert patrick still has a job you know because remember i remember i was sad that like i wanted to see more from him and then when he got killed off i'm like oh that's it but no it looks like he's gonna be like you know he's gonna be part of the show still just as one of my thoughts um yeah just overall i thought what a what an interesting story what an interesting way to come at social issues. What an interesting choice to have Peacemaker, who's this absurd looking weird character with tacky helmets and all this stuff, to use this character to tell a story that actually has something to say and has an emotional arc. I mean, that's, you know, that takes a certain uh, skill set. You know, I, I was very, <laughs> I'm just, I, I'm still. Very, very impressed at at how much they got out of this this peacemaker concept. I don't think when when they announced John Cena was playing this ridiculous looking guy in the Suicide Squad, I don't think anyone thought that we'd be getting quite this sort of layered storytelling. You know, yeah, not at all, not at all. I thought, and we have the thing now with hardcore, which I will say one thing: if if anything feels perhaps a little rushed, I would say it's the romance between him and hardcore because like. Like, we kind of get it. Like, you know, she was a hard ass at first, but she's slowly warming to him. I feel yeah. like she warmed pretty quick. You know what I mean? Like, somewhere like two or three episodes ago, she just decided, okay, he's pretty awesome. That was it. I, you know, I saw them, like, warm up into a friendship, but I never quite got that it was warming into a romance. Yes. I always just thought yeah. he wanted to sleep with her, and she was just yeah. like, all right, he's an acceptable person to, like, talk to now. So that seems exactly. a little forced, especially because, like, they weren't even together, really, for the whole final no. battle. Like, no. they, it's not like he like there was, like, a romantic moment where he saved her or something. Like, yeah. So that was a little forced. I, I agree. That's, like, the yeah, only – but it's like, like, I'm nitpicking. I mean, like, come on. Yeah. I'm not saying <laughs> but, it ruined anything but i will say like if it it, that might be the thing that felt the least earned if that makes any sense listen when i watched it i had the thought come into my head too i literally had i was like this seems a little yeah like when they're holding hands in the hospital bed like oh this sudden tenderness out of nowhere you know right and and it's funny too because for a second i thought maybe they were going to let the butterfly take over her brain yeah because i almost saw it as like yeah, like, all right, so I guess you know, she's about to die, but if this thing takes over, a version of her lives on because it takes on her memories and all that sort of stuff. Yep. So for a second there, I'm like, are they going to do that? And then they did. Yeah, but, same. I thought. Yeah, same. <laughs> really, just, um, really, just interesting show, and really, you know, where they're going, the fact that it ends with this 
with the seeds planted for season two. You're showing him out front. We've got Eagly. We've got the dad. We've got the butterfly sitting between them eating the honey. So the butterfly doesn't hate him. But he, right. Even though he turned his back on them and killed the cow, There's the, the, the butterfly is still there. Um, now Amanda Waller has been put on blast in public by her daughter who's blown the lid off Task Force X. And we get Viola Davis actually showing up. Yeah. You know, so like, like there's a lot of interesting so cool. dynamics here. Lots of, you know, lots of places to go. So season two uh, can't come fast enough, if you ask me. But now we got to talk about the big cameos, right? Big cameos. Earlier <laughs> in the episode, they, they, they foreshadowed, right? They planted seeds where once they realized the nature of the mission, one of them said, can we just call the Justice League? Right. And, uh, you know, it was kind of scoffed at and it is what it is. But then now at the end of the episode, once our heroes have saved the day, they're walking away from the, you know, the, the, the burning barn. Destroyed barn. Yeah. And suddenly that's when the Justice League arrives. The Justice League in the form of Superman, Aquaman, the Flash and Wonder Woman. Okay, and at first it's just silhouettes, and I got to tell you, it's pretty cool that like the silhouettes, you see very clearly who these are. You know, like that. This was the Justice League that's been built up all these years. The Justice right. League that we kind of thought maybe at some point they were going to retcon them out or whatever. Like, no, these as of right now, as of February of 2022, DC's Justice League looks like this. So for those of you, by the way. Who were like hashtag restore the Snyderverse, hashtag this, hashtag that. Like, guys, they're here. The Justice League characters that you loved are here. All right. And they look pretty badass. Okay. Now, now listen, the 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 Superman is just a silhouette, but it's very clearly meant to be Henry Cavill's silhouette, at least, with yes. the big billowing cape and the shape of his head. It's clearly meant to be the man of steel Superman, right? And then you have the Barry Allen Flash, who's wearing the 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 costume from the Zack Snyder Justice League movie, and you know, and the mm -hmm. theatrical cut, right? But right. then you have Aquaman, who's dressed in the James Wan Aquaman suit, so it's kind of cool, kind of you know, merging right. all the ideas. And then uh, Wonder Woman is just again similar to Superman. Is I assume Gal Gadot could not take the time yeah, off to come film. That's really what it was. But. Who could blame her? Yeah. And then they have that moment, though. They revisit the joke about Aquaman having sex with fish. And uh, <laughs> Barry's like, well, it's not a joke, though. Yeah, Fuck so basically Barry. confirming, like, no, you kind of do. <laughs> Whether he's referring to Mira or, like, yeah. if he does do some shady stuff. <laughs> so listen, I like that they I mean, acknowledge it. <laughs> that cameo, that, that, that cameo was huge. And... We th th there's a lot to sort of unpack there because, like I said, you know, we've now got established that that is still our Justice League. I, the, the most recent bit of DC Entertainment is Peacemaker, right? Mm -hmm. And their finale included a Justice League, and these are still our Justice Leaguers, okay? And it's interesting because there was a quote that came out this week that I thought was interesting, all right? It came from Casey Bloys who basically sort of runs the show over there at uh, HBO Max. And he was talking about how one of the top priorities Anne Sarnoff had when DC, you know, when the DC universe was kind of getting remanaged 
and reshuffled was to kind of have things be a little more organized, have a more coherent plan. Because remember, with all the power changes in 2016 and 2017, mm -hmm. you know, whatever plans had been in existence leading up to Justice League had been thrown out the window. And through the different regime changes, there was lots of uncertainty about what was going to stay, what wasn't, what is the roadmap. This has been a slow-moving, soft reboot for the last five freaking years. Yeah. And so Casey Bloys was... Uh, in an interview was talking about the priorities of trying to put this all together in a way that actually makes sense. And I want to read that to you because I feel like the peacemaker cameos are part of a bigger picture that kind of show that like, wait a minute, there is a coherent sort of shared universe happening after all, but let here are the quotes. Um, so Casey Bloys <clears throat> told the Hollywood reporter, one of the things that Anne Sarnoff has been big on is trying to make DC work in a more organized and integrated way. I wasn't there before, so I don't know how things were done. But since I started at Apex a year and a half ago, we spent a lot of time talking with Toby Emmerich and Walter Hamada and Jim Lee at DC. And we're trying to be mindful about how all the pieces work together. In my estimation, it feels very well organized. That's something that was very important to Anne when she started a few years ago. So now, the reason I think that this all kind of comes into play is this. I've been hearing for the last two years, and it's something I talked about on this show for a while, that Jim Lee and the multiverse, the concept of the multiverse is something Jim Lee has believed very strongly on and ever since he took over as president of D.C., and that's a big deal because he was influential. He was integral in having Ezra Miller's Flash show up in the Arrowverse, in that Crisis on Infinite Earths uh, crossover, where he wanted to establish that those Justice League, those DCEU characters are connected to what you're seeing here in the Arrowverse. And that's why he had Ezra Miller come face to face with Grant Gustin's Flash. And I assume there's going to be a bookend to that cameo in The Flash where Grant Gustin is going to show up. Because again, right. Jim Lee, they're really banking heavily on this multiverse concept, right? And we know that Andy Muschietti said all kinds of things about the way the multiverse is going to work in The Flash. So when you factor all that in, when you have the cameo where Ezra Miller showed up in Arrowverse, now he's shown up in peacemaker and now we know that later on this year when there's a flash movie there's going to be all kinds of other stuff where the other heroes are involved it kind of gets you it gives you this idea that there is a sort of roadmap that there is a sort of game plan and that things aren't just kind of happening sort of you know smack dash right you know and things aren't just being because at, at certain times it would feel like dc was just throwing a bunch of things at the wall and seeing what's stuck yeah, you know, the days of a million like, random announcements are over, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. But now we're really starting to get a sense of like, oh no, there is someone at the you know at the helm here. And this is gonna pay off in some pretty interesting ways, you know. And I'm gonna just continue with the, with the a second part of Blois's co of comments. Um actually, no, this is from Toby Emmerich, just talking about the way HBO Max will be working with the big screen stuff too, because Peacemaker is a good example of that. Emmerich added, HBO Max presents a huge opportunity for DC. It allows us to make 
high-quality, mid-budget superhero movies that reintroduce lesser-known DC titles while also crossing over standout characters from our bigger films into original series. So clearly he knew about the, you know, he was kind of foreshadowing the Justice League arriving in Peacemaker. Uh, connecting the DC Cinematic Universe with Max gives our fans more ways to explore the DC multiverse and more chances to enjoy, to enjoy more great stories with these beloved characters. So it's kind of just cool to see the, the, this idea of the synergy between the movies and what's going on on HBO Max and what's going on over on the CW and kind of getting a sense that Jim Lee and company are actually working on something pretty damn cool, something pretty coherent, you know? And um, like even that little, did you get a chance to see that highlight clip that came out right before the Super Bowl? The we, the yes. world needs heroes. The world needs heroes. Right? That was an awesome little one minute clip that came out that it highlighted four particular things. It, it highlighted the Batman, it highlighted Black Adam, it highlighted the Flash, and it highlighted Aqu uh, Aquaman. Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. As if, like, you know, th th these are the things you need to be paying attention to in right. the coming year. Because these are the big four DC things happening this year. And for first of all, what did you think of the highlight reel and the way it seemed to, like, tie all these projects together? No, I thought it was it was like a nice little, um, you know, present for fans almost in a way. Just, like, because we've had so much uncertainty. Yeah. And just to really, like, yeah, like, you know, they always do, like, the DC fandom every year. And that kind of is the big celebration. But this was, like, a nice little thing to say, hey, this is what's on the horizon. You know, look forward to this. Then, like you said, we couple it with Peacemaker and that little crossover there. And it just says, hey, we want, we want your eyes locked on DC. We want you on CW. We want you on HBO Max giving us subscription money. And we want you spending money at the theaters. And you need to be locked into our ecosystem. We have a plan now. We're confident. Yeah. We're showing you clips of movies that are actually filmed and actually yeah. done. We're not just announcing projects that are just going into the ether. So it, yeah. it's, a, it's a statement from them. And, you know, what? Listen, so. all those little clips look great. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm excited. I'm very excited after that period of uncertainty. I know some people are sad that the maybe the Snyder storylines are not continuing. But like we, yeah. like we said, the characters are here. They're not just erasing everything. So no, like, it, not. It, it kind of lives on. It might not follow his blueprint, but it, they're there. Like So there, there is that still foundation. You can still look back and say, hey, Zach brought us these guys originally and, and really like, you know, peppered them out into the into the DCEU. So, yeah, I think I think it's a. I want to be positive about it. I know some people will just kick and scream no matter how hard they want, but it's, it's a good <laughs> yeah. thing for all fans. I really think it yeah. is. It's the best way forward. It's going to pay off guys. Just these things take time. These are huge Titanic ships that we need yep. to like turn around. So, and I really think, yeah. yeah, I think it really says something though, too, that like about how the, the folks running DC currently view those older DC movies. The fact that, James Gunn was able to bring that version of the Justice League into this hugely successful current DC property shows that like they're not trying to hide these guys right. or they're not trying to like, you know, act like those movies didn't happen. You know, it's it's mm -hmm. the fact that you know, they, they got approval to use these versions of the characters, to use that artwork, to use that feel and look. And it kind of shows you it gives me hope that in The Flash, 
these, you know, these versions of the characters are going to be given their proper due. Because a lot of people, I feel like a lot of the concern people have is it like, is the Flash is going to nuke everything and have no regard for what came right. before? And I don't think they are. I think, you know, it looks like they're finding a way to honor what's come while mm -hmm. putting a new twist on things and pushing towards the future. So I'm very excited about that. Yeah. Um, and w what I thought was interesting, though, that, that, that to me was like uh, almost misleading is when you're looking at the world needs a hero little video that came out, you know, it keeps jumping between you. Know, you see Robert Pattinson's Batman along with Aquaman, along with Flash, along with Black Adam. But we know full well that the Matt Reeves Batman is going to exist on its own and, and that there really is no intention or plan to cross him over with any of these other heroes. So that was the one thing I thought I'm like, they're almost pulling a fast one because like, you know, it seems like he's part of that same world, but he's not. Yeah. I don't know? think we, anyone should read into that. I think it is just, it's just saying like, Hey, all these things coexist. They're here. It is, doesn't mean that they're all interconnected, but they're they're there. This is all for yeah. you. This is all our properties, and it's all of our all of our things to enjoy. Yeah, but to me, believe it or not, that's still like the weird, interesting thing in all this: the fact that Matt Reeves gets to be the only outlier in all this because he got his Batman movie at a time where there wasn't, you know, where there was a vacuum of leadership where no one really knew what was going on at the very beginning of 2017. You know, Ben Affleck just knew he was out. He was not interested anymore. And he, right. he could see the, how they were about to overhaul justice league and everything was still massively up in the air. And that's why Matt Reeves got to be able to like get his creative uh, freedom sort of clause in his contract to do this Batman movie exactly as he wants to do it without any sort of DCEU connections of any kind. But meanwhile, if he would have gone in for that same meeting like one year later, they would not have approved that plan. You know what I mean? The people right. who are in charge now would probably not say, hey, why don't you make an entire DC series that has nothing to do with everything else we're trying to plan, you know? So it's right. just an interesting little, like, footnote in all this is that Reeves gets to be on an island, but it's specifically because of when he went to pitch this movie and the position DC was in when they asked him if he was interested, you know, because it wouldn't yeah. be happening otherwise. I was also and, just thinking, I mean, kind of interesting that maybe it's also that, like, it shows what faith that DC and Warner has in the Batman property, yeah. where they do think that it can be its own standalone thing, whereas maybe they don't feel as strongly about, uh, I mean, it's just a way to look at it, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, and Flash, and that people are only interested if it is part of some kind of connected thing. Whereas they yeah. know Batman could really live life on its own. That's an interesting angle to look at. I don't know. Yeah. You know I don't. I couldn't know what's in people's heads, but it just. It, but it's you know, like you said too. It's definitely because at the time, it's stuff was just up in the air, and they were like, "We need yeah. some. We need something for people to get excited about and to do something like really, <laughs> but, you know, art house and knock it out of the park." But also, but like, and speaking of things that might not have happened except for other decisions that were made. Like, you know, we spoke earlier about how like James Gunn got on Peacemaker and Suicide Squad because mm -hmm. Disney fired him. Right. Well, in a, in a slightly sort of similar way, you know, 
the fact that Aquaman somehow got filmed before they decided to blow everything up. They, you know, Aquaman got filmed before Justice League's reshoots happened, before so many things that went on to happen. You know, people have pointed out, like our friend Rick Shue over at Batman on Film was always quick to point out, and I, I have to give him credit because he was the first one who pointed this out, that based on Justice League's box office, if they were going to decide just based on that whether or not to proceed with any of these characters, they might not have made an Aquaman movie, you know, because Justice League opened to like 90 million bucks. It was a calamity when that <laughs> came out. But the fact that it was already in the can and they had to try and like make the most of it just kind of shows it like, damn, it's interesting how that worked out. That had it not <laughs> been for the sort of super rushed sort of poor planning of the DCEU early on, there, we might not have gotten Aquaman, and then who knows? They, they might have done a much harder reboot after Justice League, if not for that. But they couldn't because they hear that they were sitting on James Wan's Aquaman movie. So, like, wow, we can't really just nuke this thing. We have to find right. a way to keep it alive. You know, so it's just there's so many interesting little steps along the way. Um and that's something I, I kind of want to just float out there here for those of you watching the show. From time to time, Brett and I are going to do episodes that are just like long form on one topic, kind of like we're doing today so far. Yeah. But, like, you know, like there might be times where we may want to just go do a full look at the DCEU's first four years and just unpack all of the insane things that happened there. And, you know, from time to time, we're going to do long forms on one topic. So keep an eye out for those episodes. But OK, Um Something else that happened as part of all this was The Rock. I think he also shared that the world needs heroes thing on like his personal Instagram. And in the description for that, what did he say, Brett? What you did know, he promise us? He said this line. I don't know if you've heard it before, but I think it's that the power hierarchy of the DC universe is about to change. Yeah, the hierarchy of power. I don't know if you've heard of this, folks. But yeah, according if, to ever, if you've Johnson, seen him tweet that or say it every yeah. year forever. You think he says it just like in passing, like just involuntarily, like involuntarily, like he's out at the uh, breakfast buffet. He's just he's like, can you pass the ketchup? By the way, the uh, hierarchy of power. Uh, in the hierarchy of power of the DZ? About to change. <laughs> yeah, he brings that up a lot, but it actually got me thinking, you know, that that must mean something. Let's think about it. All right. Let's actually right. break down this idea of the hierarchy of power in the DC universe. I'll start by asking you if you had to look at the DCEU, which basically began in 2013 with the man of steel up to now, what would you say has been the central focus, the central power of the DC universe movies up to now? Right. Well, I mean, uh, it would depend, I think, if you're looking at individuals or groups, and I'll, I'll yeah. explain why quickly. But, um, I mean, if you're going solo, I guess, like, Superman's top dog right now, right? It, it's that he's the top of the power hierarchy. Um, but then, uh, then uh, the way I was thinking, too, is he could be talking about the Justice League as a whole, because we know in Black Adam we're going to be seeing the Justice uh, Society. And mm -hmm. maybe he's saying that those ancient, you know, heroes, because they've been, you know, Hawkman, him, Dr. Yeah. Thief, been around for a real long time. Maybe they're really the strongest heroes, you know, the ones from like the, you know, not Golden mm -hmm. Age or I, don't know, I guess Golden Age that came before. So yeah. I, I wonder, but I, I guess Superman, but then 
the way I also think of it too is you think about you know Flash's contribution during uh, the Justice League, um, yeah. Especially in the new one where you really see his powers go off. I mean, he can uh, alter like, like he can upend reality and like time travel. So that's yeah. kind of powerful too. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I don't know. I don't know where you go with that. But yeah, yeah I guess you would think that. So is he just saying? You know, he's coming in and he's more powerful now. And then he wants to just keep talking that until he finally gets to, you know, yeah. rough it up with Superman. See, here's what I think. Here's yeah. what I think. I, because he's been bringing up this hierarchy of power thing for like at least three, four years. He's been bringing it up when talking about this Black Adam thing. And I don't think it's so much a literal discussion of powers about who's got the most, you know, the biggest abilities. I think sure. it's more so about like, Who's the boss of the DCEU? Who who are the main characters? What has been the focus? And in my mind, that's the Justice League, the overall thing, because all of those first few movies were about setting up the Justice League, right? Man of Steel, BVS, you know, even Suicide Squad. It happened in the shadow of Superman's death and, and was originally meant to sort of pay off with Steppenwolf and all that sort of stuff. But like, you know the early focus was getting to this justice league concept and they've been the primary focus, if you will, of the sure. DCEU up to this point. And I think what he's been trying to get at because, well, a, because it suits him to promote it this way, but B he's also been behind the scenes knowing that like things are about to change anyway. Like, you know, the, the focus is about to change and he's trying to basically point out that like, the focus of DC of the DC universe is going to be shifting in a major way after this year. Mm. And that the stuff that he's planning with black Adam and the justice society, like that's the stuff we're going to be talking about moving forward. The stuff that comes out of these next few movies, the entire power structure of DC on film, as we know, it is going to shift towards a new you know, flock of characters. So sure. instead of focusing so much on justice league, there's going to be a new crop of characters for you to focus on. And I think his Black Adam saga, whatever he's mapped out there, is going to be a, be a pretty big deal. Because we know he's trying to have a clash against Superman. We know he's including the Justice League. We know Black Adam eventually has to do something with Shazam. So I, I, I have a feeling, too, that like one of the big surprises in The Flash is that Black Adam will factor in somehow towards the end. I feel like the Flash is going to set us up for everywhere we're going next. And I feel like right. they don't want to mention that just yet because the movie's not out. They don't want to spoil that. But I feel like if the Flash is going to really sort of chart the course for where we go next, I think it'll be interesting if like Black Adam, there's some sort of Black Adam tease that's part of the Flash uh, film. You know, yeah, I, w I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt that. Um, you know, another theory I was thinking too is that, you know, with with the Rock being who he is, Dwayne Johnson, and them signing him, I'm assuming for multiple films, and yeah, how he's been talking up his character, like you said, the Clash of Superman. Maybe by also the power hierarchy is he's kind of hinting that he's gonna maybe be the big bad, like a few films from yeah. now, and that might lead for for the next Justice League team up. Um, like he could be like That's the new true. Thanos. Like, we get the origin story with Black Adam. He has the anti-hero persona with the Justice Society. Yeah. And I guess maybe we see him go down a dark path. We see him again in Shazam, have a big fight there, but he doesn't get killed. Maybe he gets away or something like that or yeah. gets locked up. And then uh, eventually he breaks out. And it's almost like uh, the way I look at it is um, even though I think he's a bigger deal than Loki, but he's like the Loki. 
Like he appeared in a few movies and then he yeah. becomes the guy to kind of like, you know, uh, usher in like this next big giant battle where we need the whole justice league involved. Yeah. So that, that could be his kind of his thing too, is that like, I am about to gain so much power. Like no one's been able to stop me. Yeah. We know. I justice think it's most <laughs> metaphorical. <laughs> I think it's metaphorical and physical. I think black yeah. Adam is about to become like a central point in DC on film and where they go next, especially if they're trying, if they reverse engineered most of black Adam's plans to get him to fight Superman. Um, I just, I have a feeling that that's really what he's talking about, about the focus on him and how important and pivotal black Adam is going to be to where DC on film goes next. Yeah. You know? Um, So I was even going to say too, I don't know if you ever noticed, but when he was a wrestler, he used to yeah. always say he was the most electrifying man in sports <laughs> entertainment. And yeah. it's funny that he's playing Black Adam now, who is a big lightning bolt, and it has, like, electric powers. Yeah. He kind of, like, predetermined his own destiny. <laughs> he kind of did. He kind of did. So, he called knew? his who shot. He, he, he called his shot, if you will. Um, and, look, while we're talking about all this with the Flash and, and Superman and stuff, I kind of want to just touch base on some interesting rumors I've been hearing. And this is also going to sort of act as your Superman on film update for the week. Because, yeah, I'm interested. I'm, I'm hearing some very interesting things about this Flash movie. And some of it piques my curiosity. Some of it I'm not so sure I buy, but I wanted to share it with you because I think it's interesting and it's connected to Superman. And I'm just curious to see how this is all going to go. But look, very good. Michael Shannon and uh, whatever her name is, the one, uh, Ancha, whatever, the one who played uh, Fiora. Yeah. Uh, they're in The Flash. They're on the official cast list. Right. Okay. And we're. It's it, it sounds like they're going to sort of relitigate some of the stuff that happened in Man of Steel. What's something that happened in Man of Steel that was polarizing? That if you were trying to um, sort of right some wrongs and reset some things, you might go back and change. Is there anything that comes to mind for Man of Steel that was divisive and polarizing? Well, there's there's uh, quite a few things I think, but the big one would probably be Superman snapping Zod's neck. And okay, committing, committing that's exactly murder what I or genocide, if you will. Well, that's exactly they, what I hope you'd say, uh, because I hear a rumor that Zod will be back, and that he will not die this time around. And I'm wondering if they're going to go back and revisit that pivotal moment and perhaps give us an ending that's more like what Christopher Nolan had originally wanted, where Zod and Feora are sent back into the Phantom Zone to be able to be a threat later on instead of killing Zod off. Right. Because that, that, that that's one of the things I heard, that Zod and Feora absolutely factor into this. And that this time around, Mike Shannon's Zod will actually survive the proceedings. But then now I'm going to mix in one of the things that I heard that just makes me go, wait a minute. No, they can't do that. Somebody <laughs> somebody misheard something. But the thing that I heard that like, I'm like, people are going to be furious about if it's true is that we're going to relive some of the moments from Man of Steel 
but with Supergirl in Superman's place kind of doing it, almost like they're replacing Superman in the story. Now, that's the part that I don't really believe. I, mm. That's the part that I have a hard time thinking that they would go that far, especially if there is going to be a Superman cameo of some kind. Why would you just, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't I don't fully buy that. Yeah. I mean, but, also, like, you're just by Michael Shannon and Fiora being there. And if you they are going to revisit something, I yeah. mean, like, don't you have to have Cavill? Unless we're going to get, like, uh, this faceless Superman that we keep getting. We get Shazam yeah. with no face. We have Silhouette Superman and Peacemaker. And in this yeah. one, we just don't see his head the whole time. I don't know. And listen, and I, and I should add, while we're talking about this, is I flipped yet again. Because my friend Nick Farina has put together some very compelling uh, – he's put together a very compelling argument that Henry Cavill will be showing up in The Flash and Shazam and Black Adam. Remember the stuff we were talking last week about right. how he was like seen mysteriously near those sets? He added in also that he had his hair dyed black the way he does when he's mm. Superman specifically because his hair is not usually as dark. Right. So I'm starting to think, okay, he is going to be in there. That's why I don't believe that one particular rumor that that they're going to actually replace Superman with Supergirl in scenes for Man of Steel. That to me is a bridge too far. But what I can believe is that currently Supergirl is in some stage of pre pre production where they are quietly fast-tracking this Supergirl movie starring Sasha Kaye. Um, and, and I hear right now that the studio is, is conducting a search for a director for the project. And I would expect them to have all of that ready in a nice little package for us after The Flash comes out. Because I feel like they don't want to announce it now because we haven't even met this Supergirl yet. And in a way, it might like spoil things. But I feel like just like that World Needs Heroes teaser focuses on these four movies, I think The Flash is going to show us like what the next wave of movies is. And and Supergirl is going to be one of the very first things out of the gate. And I hear that Warner Brothers is currently very quietly uh, taking meetings and doing everything they can to kind of have that locked in place. So Supergirl is coming pretty darn soon. so I did just kind of want to share that. Do you have any thoughts on that, Brett? Well, what I'm hoping is that in The Flash, he travels all the way back or sideways or whatever through the multiverse. And he gets to Superman 2 with Christopher Reeve. And he <laughs> stops him from throwing a weird cellophane emblem of the S out of his chest. That, yeah, if they he... do that, that will easily be the best comic book movie ever made forever. It will not yeah. be so bad. Yeah, but, 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 but see, but then that opens the question. What if he doesn't go to Richard Lester's Superman 2? What if he goes to the Richard Donner cut of Superman 2 where there is no shitty cellophane S, huh? What if they do that? Wow, you're talking. (laughs) See, they're not just going to have this Flash movie retcon the DCEU. This is going to go back and fix the Christopher Reeve movies. This is going to get rid of uh, George Clooney and 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 uh, as Batman. This is going to this Flash movie is going to right every wrong. Halle Berry's Catwoman gone. It's just a from existence. They're just going to go back and say 
This movie is going to be our apology for every bad decision of the last 50 years of DC. I would actually, I would be very impressed <laughs> if they did that. Um, but yeah, so listen, that, 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 that is the Superman on film update for the week that we're going to be getting some Zod and Feora uh, involvement in the Flash. That seems to be 100% the case. The rumor is that Zod will actually live. So I wonder if they're going to go back in time and Superman will not kill Zod. And that's the thing. If they do do that, I think it opens up a chance for more Superman stories for Cavill. I think if they were to go through the trouble of almost like rehabilitating Man of Steel in that way, then I think they wouldn't do that for just a quick cameo of Superman. They would do that because they want this Superman to have some interesting places to go. And maybe we will finally get those. Yeah, you know, we'll get some more. I, listen, this is my optimism and my Superman hoodie here getting the best of me. But yeah, th th that's all uh, for your Superman on film update. Okay. We got Zod. We got Feora. We have uh, the possibility of Zod continuing we have the weird possibility of Supergirl replacing him in that third act sequence. But then most importantly, we have a Supergirl movie that's probably going to be announced within days of The Flash coming out because they want, they're getting that movie ready to go in conjunction with The Flash. So that's your Superman on film update for the week. And as of now, I checked it. The final bit of news on the Superman reboot by J.J. Abrams, by Jaja Abrams. Jaja Abrams. Had on February 26th of 2021. And as we record this, we are about one week away from the one-year anniversary of any kind of solid update on a standalone Superman movie. But of course, there's a part of me that's like wondering, maybe that's because... They found maybe they scrapped the Ta-Nehisi Coates thing and Abrams is going to find a way to bring back Henry Cavill, who was going to be his star in Superman flyby to do a new Superman story. So we'll see. Listen, I'm listen. I think you could throw a big cellophane S on that, Mario. <laughs> you could just throw a big cellophane S right on it. All right. So we'll see what happens as soon as there's any more concrete news on a Superman movie. You know who's got you covered, baby. But now we're going to switch over from our boy Superman over to his partner in crime over there at the world's finest, Batman. Because there have been some interesting little things that have popped up now that the Batman is almost upon us. And Robert Pattinson and Matt Reeves have been getting interviewed and little you know clips and sound bites keep making their way out of the things that they're saying on their press tour. And there are a couple characters in particular from Batman's mythology that uh, are in the news lately. So, Brett, why don't you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I always love when, like, this mo these movies are about to come out and then, like, all the questions are getting asked is about the sequel. No one's yeah. even seen the movie yet. Um, <laughs> so it's always like, really exciting. But, uh, yeah, recently, I don't, I'm not going to pull up the exact quote, but uh, basically uh, – Robert Pattinson was asked about the possibility of having a Robin. And basically he said that he's not afraid of doing that. He said a lot of people are, are afraid of that, but he's like, I think it could be done really well. And he said the one condition is that it would need to be like a 13 year old. He wants him to be a really young Robin. So they have a big age gap 
and then, you know, kind of work that in. And for me, I mean, listen, it didn't work out great with Chris O'Donnell, who was like already like yeah. 20 years old playing an 18 year old or something like that um, in um, uh, Batman Forever. But I think there's a real potential uh, to, to actually see like a young Dick Grayson on, on screen uh, with Batman. I mean, I think it will depend on how, uh, you know, how uh, Robert Pattinson's Batman ends up at the end of this film and yeah. like what kind of growth he has already accomplished and what more mm-hmm. he has to do. Because I think that's the that's obviously the most important core part of that in order for it to not be campy is that he need if you're going to introduce Robin, it needs to he needs to learn something. He needs to teach him something. Yeah. He needs to inform some kind of change in him. And, you know, we know in the comics it really kept him from being so bitter and it kind of mellowed him out a little bit and really, I think, kept him from, you know, really crossing into anti-hero territory. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think it's a really cool angle. I, I, for one, would love to see them actually, you know, visit that. Um, and I think, you know, depending, listen, I want to see this movie. I really want to see how the tone is, how the whole movie plays out. But he might be a good Batman to introduce it. And I could I could almost see it working in, in this world. Yeah. You know, you know movie pending. Um, yeah. So that that's a really, really exciting concept. And then, uh, Mario, if you want to take the next part that you brought up about uh, well, Reeves. Before we bring up the next part. Or you want to get add on to this. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I just, I got to disagree with you about Robin in live action. This is just my thing. I don't think it works. I like, I barely like the Chris O'Donnell one in those campy movies. And then in the Christopher Nolan movies, I remember feeling Robin wouldn't work here. And then from what we've seen so far of this Batman, like to me, it would clash so much. Like, I don't know. I feel like I've never been a big fan of batman and robin believe it or not you know i I mean i like the old 60s adam west tv series and stuff like that but my favorite batman stories have always been him on his own and to me with the when you introduce robin it has the potential to make the whole thing pretty silly i don't know i i feel like you gotta have a really clear story and character dynamic between them in mind if you're gonna do that and (laughs) you know with with everything we've seen so far with this reeves batman being so dark and on top of that he's toy he's kind of young he's at the beginning of his career i feel like it's way too soon to be talking about robins i wouldn't want to see him have a robin until he's been batman for like 10 15 years and now it's time to bring that young you know that young you know character in for whatever reason but for me personally i'm in no rush to get to robin i think uh it just it doesn't appeal to me it doesn't call to me and uh yeah that's that's what i think about that yeah i I was gonna say too like i i don't think in this case i would not want to see it in this sequel to this movie i think it's way too soon like i'd want to see it maybe in like the third or fourth movie introduce that concept but um yeah, I know it's I know it's scary. It's a very slippery slope. Listen, you're gonna have to get an amazing actor. Yeah, the writing needs like literally you need to do it perfect. So it is a slippery slope in that sense. But I do think I have read a, a lot of comics, um, especially I know we'd be doing probably the Dick Grayson version. But um, a lot of the comics with Damian Wayne, um, yeah. you know, for my two cents. I love them. I enjoy them. Mm. It gives a really cool dynamic for Batman. I mean, it, you look at it this way. We're both so in love with Superman and Lois. And, you know, different tone. But we're. I'm really enjoying, like, watching the family aspect or him trying to, like, yeah. be Superman with the kid. And I think that could be interesting for Batman. I know 
I know the worry is that it takes some of the darkness away, but I don't know. Dick Grayson, like, I mean, the story is very tragic, and he yeah. can be a very dark character, too. So, if they approach um, it like The Last of Us, if they approach it like right. one of these things, you know, where there, there's a kid and there's this, you know, the, there's this sort of like a darkness and a depth to it like that. Yeah. Maybe. You know what I mean? But to me, I just, I don't think we're there yet. And yeah, honestly, sadly enough, if there was a live action Batman that I think I could have seen with a Robin next to him and with a Robin story, it would have been Batfleck. You know what I mean, when, yeah. when they showed the dead Robin thing and, and we had the thought of maybe having a Batman movie that, that explores that and the death of Robin and, and how that happened, that didn't weird me out. I'm like, oh, I could see that because right. Zack Snyder would probably cast like a 20-year-old kind of badass Robin and we'd want to find out what happened to him. But in this particular case, picturing the Battenson Batman with some kid, it just, it wrote me the wrong way, you know? <laughs> um, but the other one that came up, and again, this is just Reeves goofing around. I don't think there's any, I don't think he's actually planning this. Of course, the clickbait websites like to act like, oh, Re Re Reeves is planning Mr. Freeze for right. Batman too. It's like, no, he was asked about it. And he said that he does think that there is a grounded way to do Mr. Freeze. So let me ask you, Brett, you know, a big Batman fan, you'd love his rogues gallery and all that. How would you, is Mr. Freeze high up there on your villains that you want to see them go to next? Well, Mr. Freeze is interesting because he's not like, as we've seen in a lot of interpretations, he's not like wholly bad. And he like, yeah, the, really, he's just trying to like save his wife. So like he does yeah. have like this an emotional backstory and um there is a cool i think angle angle in there uh to you know to bounce off of batman and that dynamic um you know it could also definitely be set up as a thing where maybe he's like a villain for half of it and then he kind of changes at the end and like they team up or something like that like that yeah. character he's the kind of character that works in that way that you could do that and have like a really cool crowd pleasing moment with him where he kind of like helps batman out or something but mm -hmm. yeah, he's, he's just got such a cool backstory he's not just like He's not. He's like one of the few like Batman villains that's not just like a psychopathic murderer with some like like you know that yeah, yeah basically a psychopathic murderer. So it's just it just is a cool idea. I I and I love you know personally too um, uh, the way he's depicted in like uh, Arkham was um, it Arkham Asylum and Arkham City. I think he's in both of them. Uh, yeah. The way he's depicted in those games is like really really cool. And actually, I think he's. I'm sorry, he's in Arkham. Uh, not Origins. He's in Arkham Asylum, Arkham City, and I do think he's in also in Arkham Knight, if I'm not mistaken. It's possible. And yeah. He has a. He's like one of the characters I think that carries over through all three games. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they they do a lot of cool stuff. I think by the third game, like you actually you meet up with him and and he helps you. It's like not he's not it's not even like a fight anymore. Um, but there's a really cool fight with it. I think in Arkham. If I, I'm I'm gonna conflate them, but it's, I think yeah. it's Arkham Asylum. Really awesome yeah. boss fight with him. So yeah, yeah I don't know. It, it, that that's one that could work. Um, I I'd be I'd be excited for that. Can I just say though, and I'm bummed out that we're back in a state of having grounded Batman characters. Like I, because I know like that's what Nolan was going for. It was the grounded version of Bane. It was the ground. You know, like everything had to be sort of logical and and quasi set in a real world scenario, right? I was actually getting excited for where Snyder was going, where things were a little more fantastical and he's fighting parademons. Cause I'm like in a world where Batman fights parademons, 
there is a killer croc. Actually, there is a killer croc established in canon from in Suicide In a world Squad. where Batman fights parademons, there <laughs> is a killer croc. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. Like, I wanted to, I, like, this is a Batman that could fight a clay face. You know yeah, what I mean? No, like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really down for that, too. I want that. Yeah, also. he existed in a more stylized comic book universe yeah. where we could see some cool versions of the of his rogues gallery that we hadn't seen on, on the big screen. You know, I'm still waiting for like my my Batman like horror horror film, horror thriller. Well, I mean, like, but I think that's, we that's are a getting movie that. that needs to be made. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like <clears throat> considering how 70 this looks. And how thriller-y this looks. I feel like we're kind of getting a Batman horror movie. So, you know, especially that yeah. first trailer. Like, it looks scary. And he's this intimidating figure. And the Riddler is not messing around. This is not just like, ah, what's black and white and red all over? Like, this is some dark, evil stuff. And he's killing corrupt politicians and all that. Like, I think you're going to kind of get your horror Batman kicks here, so to yeah. speak. I also, but, as we've been talking, well, we'll continue. Yeah, finish. No, no, I just, yeah, but <laughs> I just, I think it needs to be said that, like, when I read about grounded versions of these characters, there's a part of me that's just like, oh, man, we're back in that stage again. You know, we, we, we it, yeah. it, at a time when most comic book properties are embracing their comic book roots and going more and leaning into the weird. You have Matt Reeves, who was like, well, no, I want to do very earthbound versions of all these characters. I was like, ah, man. But listen, I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth. But I just, I, you know, whenever I hear about grounded versions of Mr. Freeze, I, it's kind of a bummer to me. Well, I, also, you know, I want I to think, be real Mr. Freeze. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's a way that you can ground fantastical <laughs> versions of characters, though, and still keep them fantastic and yeah. Like, you know, it just depends. Like, you know, that word grounded could mean so many things. Grounded means like, oh, it has to totally make sense in a reality setting. But like, yeah, it, it doesn't because just like your main character doesn't even make sense in the reality setting. This guy doing what he does. Like, yeah, you, you like by after like a year or two, all of his bones would just be shattered and broken. Like he's not <laughs> yeah. doing this for 30 years. So, you know, I mean, listen, if you want to go down, down that road, but you need you need to to you can ground it by just grounding a great backstory for him but he could still have like these weird things where he needs to stay cold because he did an experiment on himself yeah. and screwed up like you can still have i think that fantastical element and yeah. keep him grounded in other ways just you know how not to do grounded is when you do schwarzenegger's mr freeze where yeah. like he just oh now i'm blue so i'm gonna always make ice puns like i'm gonna <laughs> speak in a different way now like that, that that's not grounded you know what i mean but you yeah. can still have like a fantastical you know, guy with fantastical elements, but be grounded. But yeah, the other thing I was thinking of too, is as we're talking about this, one more little thing to throw in, if I'm not mistaken, Pattinson was also asked about like, you know, other, you know, villains or something that could happen in the series. And this one does work in, in Reeves grounded universe, much to your dismay, but he brought up the court of owls, which is kind of, yeah, a newer, see, that would be um, idea. And that's also like, um, you know, I would still say like, um, I know there's like definitely horror elements to this, but I would still say it's fits more to a crime thriller. Yeah. But I think with the Court of Owls is something you could do a little more horror um, or even, you know, more recent comics like uh, uh, Death of the Family, where there's like some really cool, horrific stuff with Joker in there where he like get cuts his face off and yeah. then it's like put up in Gotham PD and then he breaks in and steals his face back and like staples it back <laughs> yeah, to his body. Yeah, yeah. Like, so you can get like really, 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 you know, uh, creepy and dark with yeah. that. 
Um, and I can see like a character like there. Scarecrow too, you know, which we had already, but we could go way yeah. further with that also. I can see, I can really see Reeves going for all that stuff. And, and, and before we transition out of Batman, uh, I will say, like, there was, uh, there was just this idea in my head once for a grounded killer croc that I'm like that you could do is if you in- introduce him as a cannibal because a there are real cannibals right? right and there are some skin diseases that make your skin look almost scaly yeah so if you have this big scary cannibal guy who's got that disease and on the streets they call him croc because he looks because of the scales you know like, so, listen i do like the cleverness of like how do we take the larger elements and make them more you know believable but at the same time, there's just going to be that part of me that's like, no, but I want a Batman that can fight Clayface, damn it. Right. But okay. Um, speaking of fantastical things, the big trailer at the Super Bowl that everyone was talking about was Marvel's Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness trailer. Uh, there were a couple things in that that damn near broke the internet. But um, yeah, j- first, just a quick, just general trailer reaction you know when you saw dr strange in the multiverse of madness you saw that trailer did it increase your hype for dr strange too did you stay the same did it decrease your hype what'd you think of the trailer well there's my gothic horror from sam raimi <laughs> um yeah no honestly there yeah, this trailer got me got me hyped for that movie i've yeah. been kind of like i've been interested just because i know it's doing the multiverse and you know now that we've really gotten taste from loki and spider-man yeah. no way home uh i knew that this was really gonna blow the doors off but um you know i was i was lukewarm on the first doctor strange film and i like his appearances in the other movies but you know he's not like some character that i really like you know am, am super into but yeah, this trailer got me pumped. It looks absolutely wild. The visuals are just unbelievable. And um, I really hope other... I mean, the shots definitely look gothic horror, but I really hope in the actual like plot and how this the story moves along, I really hope they lean into that. Uh, that's yeah. that's like... But that's going to be the thing that really makes that movie for me if they really go there. And uh, I'm hoping mm-hmm. with Sam Raimi on board, they will. But uh, yeah, yeah, this totally got my hype level way up Yeah. the movie. I mean, I, they're letting Raimi be Raimi, right? He like it, yeah. it looks like a Sam Raimi movie. And you know what? I used to complain on this show and on the Revengers show that when it comes to the Marvel movies, the directors are sort of um, inauspicious. They don't yeah. leave a strong impression. We'll to this saw, day, right? who directed Captain Marvel? Go. Yeah, it's the two people. Yeah, you have no people. idea, right? You know, if I were to just rattle off some of these, you couldn't really name the, the 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 directors are just nondescript and nothing special. So in for Doctor Strange, the fact that it says from director Sam Raimi, and they're like leaning into the fact that here's this auteur director that film fans have had a relationship now with since the mid '80s. I just thought it was kind of cool. Like, ooh, okay, this is almost like a signaling of like a change in the way they do things here is sort of an auteur driven marvel movie isn't it funny how they do that only with certain like so like we could just really quick sidebar but yeah okay uh the russo brothers like theirs is very there's movies very much stand out um obviously james gunn it's like james gunn's guardian of the galaxy like it's his his whole thing where he gets to do whatever he wants yeah Um, we have sam raimi now but then you look at like the movies where like Thor had like a different director every time, yeah. like except for Thor Ragnarok, most of the other ones weren't, you know. And you yeah, know, we had Sir Kenneth Branagh on the first one, and it was like, eh. and nobody um, cared. 
and nobody cared. Um, you know, and then you have like, you know, these directors that we don't really know who they are that were kind of like probably just bought in to be like studio pawns, unfortunately. Yeah. So Captain Marvel, which, you know, but look at the movies that kind of like were like, eh. Captain yeah. Marvel, the first Doctor Strange, the first two Thors, um, and those are the ones that were kind of made by committee. You could almost argue Ant Man too, but I think Peyton Reed is a much better director than some of these other like you know nobody. Yeah. to be like rude, but I think Peyton Reed, uh, especially listen, man, he directed the season finale of uh, season two of The Mandalorian. That was Peyton Reed. That's our Ant Man director for Ant Man One and Two. Yeah, so we got to give him a little bit of props. The guy knows what he's hey. doing. Uh, oh, hey, yeah. so it's just interesting though. But like you know, the movies that stand out, and it's funny how like they they want to do that for some franchises, but it seems like other ones they're like, no, let's just get someone that we can push around. Yeah, so we can we can make this film by like committee or something. I don't. Yeah. Know. I don't know. It's just it, that's just an interesting thing for me. I don't know. I yeah. thought about it today, like earlier. Yeah. So. Well, in terms of the trailer, it definitely increased my hype level from like zero to like six. Yeah, I'm oh, still not like zero to six. Well, out of point five seconds. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, like it, 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 I'm still not like, oh, my God, I have yeah. to see this Doctor Strange movie. But I'm definitely interested now. And of course, the big thing that broke the Internet was that at the end, it appears that we get a visitor from another Marvel universe. We hear what seems to be Patrick Stewart's voice saying something like, do you want to tell him or should we tell him? And it yeah. looks like we're looking over the shoulder of Professor Charles Xavier from the Fox X-Men universe. Now suddenly being brought into the proper MCU universe and, and this is after what happened in Spider-Man No Way Home, where now <laughs> we've embraced all the Sony Spider-Man movies and added as and, and now we act as if those are officially accepted into the canon, so to speak, of the MCU. Now we're folding in the Fox X-Men universe. And yeah. that's gonna be sort of canon too. You know, I mean, we're gonna see how they play it out, but you know, I I don't think they can backpedal on this. Like it's not like in WandaVision when they brought in uh, the other Quicksilver and then named right. him like Richard Boner or something, and it wasn't really the other Quicksilver. Like if they're gonna have Patrick Stewart in the multiverse of madness as Xavier, uh, they're really they're acknowledging that those other X Men movies existed and that right. you know that, that's one of the universes in this world that Marvel is setting up now. You know, yeah. and I just think that's interesting because that's two movies in a row and, and it's starting to show that like, is that one of the underlying things about this phase? Because remember, after Avengers Endgame, we kind of went off into the great unknown with Marvel after a 22 movie lead up, you know, a 22 movie Infinity Saga. Right. Now you had Endgame, which Kevin Feige still refers to in recent interviews as the last Avengers movie. It's the end of that. They're not going to continue on that story. That's the end of that. The big question is, where do we go from here? You know, we heard about Shang-Chi and the Eternals and some of these other movies coming out. But now it's starting to, like, come into focus that this multiverse thing and bringing in all the Marvel that's happened up to now into everything even bringing in the marvel netflix stuff with daredevil and kingpin showing up like this it seems like this phase is about shoring up and expanding the marvel canon 
to include everything that's come before. Yeah. And I, I like, who saw that coming? You know, like right. it, it's, it's just such, I don't know where they're going with this and, and what other Marvel X-Men characters are they going to bring from that continuity? Right. Cause yeah. everyone thought, okay, they're going to introduce a whole new breed of X-Men and they're going to act like those other X-Men movies never happened. But if you're bringing in Xavier, is that it? Is it a one and done? Right. Are they going to bring back James McAvoy to play him younger? Like, I, I don't know where they go from here, but yeah. You well, know. The, the other big, the big piece, right. Is that not only yeah, Xavier, we're pretty sure it's him, but uh, they're also thinking that this is Dr. Strange meeting the Illuminati, which is a bunch of really strong characters or powerful characters from multiple Marvel universes. Yeah. Or I don't even know if they're, they're the same or multiple, probably multiple um, that are there to like basically make sure that the Marvel multiverse is not like a, a shit show. <laughs> yeah. So um, it looks like, yeah, they could do that. And then, you know, that could just be, again, the multiverse now, it could just be one Xavier from one universe and we can recast everything. But it certainly seems that the way the the way the next new team of Avengers is going to be built is through the multiverse, um, traveling through the multiverse to, to finally combat uh, Kang the Conqueror. Um, so, and I think you know after we're going to get a lot of more insight. I think with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And whoop, I'm gonna sneeze. Okay, I stopped it. I stopped it. The sneeze is gone. You did it. Um, <laughs> so, You're a hero. Um, well, uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And then I also believe that we will learn a lot more in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, um, where we're actually supposed to see Kang the Conqueror, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think he's rumored to be the villain or at least be a big part of that film. So, I, and, uh, you know, listen, Wolverine was an Avenger at one point. Um, a couple of X-Men were on the Avengers team before. No, okay, so, hey, so, we so could so be you working bring up that to up. that. <laughs> I have to ask, though, because, like, let's say Xavier's back. After the send-off that Logan was, right, for both Xavier and for and for Logan and for Hugh Jackman's Wolverine, like, does this cheapen that exit if he's back? Or is it just like, screw it, I just bringing him into the MCU is worth it? I think, you know, I would do more, it would cheapen it for me if they brought Hugh Jackman back. Um, that was my Patrick next question. Stewart, for some reason, doesn't bother me. <laughs> like, And okay. also... One of the things, again, we can't tell because it's such a quick shot. You can't see anything. It does look like Patrick Stewart is wearing an outfit fit similar to what he wore in Days of Future Past. So I wonder mm. if they could play a thing where it's that version of him where they didn't get to go back and save it. And that universe can't, uh, went on. And at that point, he's still alive, but most of the other mutants are dead. And yeah. then he, then they have to go to another universe to really get the mutants in or something. And then they can recast yeah. everybody. And I don't know. I wonder if they'll do some weird trickery with that. Is, yeah. I don't know. They could do so much stuff. It's really nuts. And It's uh, nuts. Hey, it's man. nuts. But, but see, I'm glad you brought up like weird trickery and stuff. Because now I'm going to sort of like segue a little bit back into DC. Because here's the thing I'm, I'm intrigued about, okay? In Spider-Man No Way Home... And conceivably in this Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness thing, um, they kind of have this idea of all these heroes can interact, but they do belong to one specific timeline. And that's right. the specific world that they know, right? Mm -hmm. But what I'm confused about over on the DC end of things is like th there were some set pictures that, that, that leaked this week that showed Michael Keaton's Batman interacting with the J.K. Simmons Commissioner Gordon. Right. 
And we know that that's not his Gordon, right? He wasn't the Gordon of the Batman and Batman right. Returns movies. So a part of me is wondering too, like, is DC gonna act like all these universes exist on their own or are they gonna somehow merge all these timelines because especially if if we're gonna have michael keaton be like the batman that interacts in these shared universe movies and he's basically replacing ben affleck what does that mean for ben affleck's bruce wayne you know and and why would ezra miller yeah why would barry allen choose to live in a completely different continuity yeah, you know, like why? Why would he yeah. leave his? I'm it wondering more like they're bringing Michael Keaton into his. But yeah, so I'm just I'm I'm very intrigued. I wonder like if that's going to get confusing at all. Well, I'm you wondering know? if they're doing kind of what they did in with how they kind of handle this stuff more in the comics, and especially with Jim Lee at the helm now. And I know he oversaw like the New Fifty Two, yeah. which was a big kind of weird, you know, university change. Yeah, like thing. a reset. But, yeah, that kind of the way that worked. I think yeah, there was just like a bunch of stuff where just like some people just got replaced and it just merged into a new universe. So I yeah. think Barry's gonna have to screw stuff up pretty bad, and then it's just gonna be like yeah. no, it, it becomes like this weird conglomerate, and just like some versions replace the other versions, and it's like no, this is this is how it all looks now. Like it's just a big yeah, and, and, and together. And that's the thing though, like it, it's it's gonna be very interesting to see how they pull it off. Because there is a, it almost seems like they're trying to have it both ways. They're invoking the idea of the multiverse, but all they're really doing is picking and choosing the elements they want to keep and just making this the continuity. That's what they do in the comics. That's literally how they handle (laughs) the paperback comics. So like, I think they just go that route and just like comic people are used to that. Let's just do that. And that way it also, in a way makes it a little different than Marvel because Marvel's not resetting their universe. They're just saying all these universes exist concurrently and we're just going to be popping in and out. But DC might say, Hey, we're going to explore that a little bit, but we're going to use it to like make this new this new word, the world, yeah. this new continuity, and that's what we're going to work off of. And then, you know, maybe they make other trips back to the multiverse later, and it changes it again. But like theirs yeah. is more of a reset, whereas Marvel is just more of an expansion. So I yeah, think that's because, cool, though. It, it it just makes it a little bit different, and it's that way. It's not yeah. the same thing. So yeah, whatever. it's just it's, it's going to be weird because for all intents and purposes, at the end of the Flash, he's going to be in that new suit that we've seen, right? That they glimpsed it at. We 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 glimpsed it in that the world needs a hero teaser. So he's going to be in the new suit with presumably the Michael Keaton Batman as the predominant Batman Bruce Wayne of his world, Mm -hmm. as well as what other interesting stuff they incorporate. And this is just the new normal for DC on film. So it's not so much that he visited other universes for a little while. He just made a whole new one out of existing parts. You know, so it's just it's going to be interesting to see how that's accepted how it's pulled off because at least we could say so far that with Spider-Man No Way Home, Marvel's pulling off this concept. The the, the way the yeah. you know, that, that movie just passed Avatar at the domestic box office. It's the it's the biggest hit in years and years by a large yeah. margin. And people no one's confused about how they got all three Spider-Man in that movie. So I just it's gonna be interesting to see if 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 DC is gonna stick the landing on that too or if it's just going to seem sort of contrived, like, oh, this is just a reboot, but you found a weird backdoor creative way to explain it, you know? Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just, 
did you have any closing thoughts on the multiverse of madness and the fact that like pretty much every both Marvel and DC, no matter what your particular brand of superhero dumb is, uh, you're about to have to be very, very comfortable with the multiverse these next two years. Yeah. Do you have any feelings about that? Well, I'll tell you what, I need to uh, catch up and finish Marvel's What If because there was a ton of stuff in that Multiverse of Madness trailer that links right back to that series. So yeah. that has become now crucial watching, um, which is crazy because now, now uh, Disney and Marvel are saying, like, you even got to watch the animated shows because we might pull stuff from there that's going to crawl. Like, everything's yeah. connected. So they're, they're really opening the doors to a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's been, listen, there's been a couple of little rumors. Uh, off this trailer too that someone sees that like when they're reality hopping in, in the trailer you kind of see them bouncing through different like realities there's one that looks like they come from an animated one someone's mm. saying from like a freeze frame so yeah. I mean, yeah you can go online and, and read these like crazy articles or youtube videos where they pick it apart but yeah Mar marvel's really they're just they're going really crazy but i, I think D i think dc is looking for a reset but uh that trailer got me pumped i'm probably about like a seven out of ten before i was definitely more like i wouldn't say i was at a zero but i was definitely like a two or a three yeah. i'm definitely in the sevens now like you know like i said he's still not my favorite character but i am very curious to see how this is really going to blow the concept up um it's gonna it's gonna be an interesting uh interesting year <laughs> yes it is an interesting couple of years and I, I just want to wrap up with just a cool little thing. It was announced earlier today that John Williams, legendary composer John Williams, is returning to the world of Star Wars. He's going to be providing the theme for the Obi-Wan Kenobi series that's arriving on Disney Plus later this year. And May, you, right? Brett, huh? Yeah. I think May. Yeah, something we like that. get the release? May? May uh, you, Brett, you're a composer. How does yes. that strike you? Um, that's, I mean, it's great news. It's great news. Um, not that, uh, you know, listen, the new composers they've had on like Mandalorian and uh, Boba Fett, um, have been, uh, tremendous. So yeah. they definitely have some great talent, but yeah, John Williams is so iconic. And I mean, listen, as far, as far as I'm concerned, this is all his anyway, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he's so, it, it's nice to have him coming back and then he can give us, uh, some cool motifs and themes. I mean, he's a master. He's done everything and it, it, it wouldn't maybe feel like Star Wars, like truly like Star Wars, especially with a character like Obi-Wan, not a new character, yeah. but an old character we're visiting. It's nice to have that, that familiarity yeah. with the music. So that, that's really exciting. So he's just doing the theme though. The dance, he's not going to be scoring the whole show. It's just the main yeah. theme. Hey, but listen, I think that's huge, especially because homie so retired huge. like 10, 15 years ago, he right. retired. And then I remember they convinced him to come back for the prequel trilogy because like, how can you, I mean, not the prequel, the sequel trilogy, because how can you do Star Wars without John Williams? And then he basically disappeared again for these last couple of years. And now here he comes just for Obi-Wan Kenobi. To me, like that seems like he must want to do this. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. He didn't have to, you know, they have, they've already got composers on the case and everyone's doing great. And nobody's like, you know, clamoring, so to speak for a John Williams theme. But here he is coming back, and he's going to write something new for this. He must yeah. have something he wants to write or something in mind already. It's a legacy you know, so, character, you know? So it's just nice to bring back the composer for yeah. the legacy. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. But very, very you cool know what? I think, uh, I think it's time to bring this baby home, Brett. Is that let's, how you feel? Let's, let's dance at home. Dancing let's dance home. at home so everyone we hope you enjoyed this 
137th episode of the Fanboy Podcast. If you get a chance, please go leave us a five-star review. That stuff really helps. It helps with the algorithms. It helps people find the show. It helps people hear and know just how awesome. And if you're enjoying this reboot with Brett as the official permanent co-host, let me know. Let us know with your five-star review. All right. And we should remind them too that we have we have the audio only version on your favorite podcast services. Yes. Give us the reviews there and the five star reviews. But um, you may also be watching this. You'll notice we now have a YouTube presence. So please check us out on YouTube, like the videos, leave us comments there. Uh, please share with your friends, subscribe, yep. of course, hit that little bell thing, wherever it is on the screen, because that gives you notifications when we post new things. And yep. I also want to remind people that um, not only do every Friday at noon, we have the audio version and we get the full video version out, but then throughout the week, uh, we do actually break up the podcast into clips of the individual topics. So so if you don't have time to sit there for an hour, hour and a half, yeah. or however long we recorded for, you can just go check out a 10-minute clip on the bit of news that you were really interested in. And we actually do like about one or two videos, depending on how many topics we have a day, leading up to next podcast release. So you can just kind of digest it in little bits over the course of the week while you drive to work, while you you know lay down and relax. And uh, we hope you'll join us there too. So thank you. Absolutely. And folks... Coming up pretty soon, too. I, I'm excited to use our new platform to do a live stream. One of these weeks, you know, we might do a thing. I'm, I'm, not, I'm springing this on you, Brett. But we record I was like, I was like what are you show. talking about? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we record this show Thursday nights at 10 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. And we could do a thing where we just record and have you there. We'll be live streaming on YouTube. And yeah, we'll still put up the episode the next day, but we could have listeners join the stream and submit questions live and be there right. with us. Join us on the stream. So we're going to be organizing some sort of live stream event soon in the weeks to come. And just to put that on your radar, folks, one of these coming weeks, Thursday at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, you could get in on a live recording of the Fanboy Podcast. So just keep that in mind. Very cool. And uh, so, folks, until next week. Life is chaos. Be kind. Adios.